Welcome to Fellowship Safaris, conversations about people of color and their journeys to subspecialist training in their countries of origin and around the world. Hi everyone, welcome to Fellowship Safaris. It's really exciting to be able to sit here with my next guest, who is a pioneer. She doesn't think of herself as a pioneer, but I can assure you, you really want to listen in to the experiences that she's going to share. I'm not going to jump ahead. I am going to give her a chance to introduce herself and her professional qualifications. Thank you so much, Njeri, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. So my name is Maureen Joroge. I am a medical doctor, a pediatrician, um, and a pediatric neurologist. So why pediatrics? What drew you to going into pediatric training? Right. So um, joining pediatrics was sort of, it just happened. How do I put it? Um, it was a no-brainer for me. Um, going through internal medicine, going through surgery and those rotations, when you do those rotations, even as a medical student, you get to work with adults and I was just so sure, me and adult medicine do not mix. So I had the best time in pediatrics, even in my undergraduate training. Um, I enjoyed it fully. So for me, uh, going to pediatrics was sort of a natural step. It's so interesting. Every time I ask people about why their particular specialization, and it sounds like it was such a natural progression for you. Mm -hmm. And so I want to jump a few steps ahead in terms of, yes, you've done some peds and started practicing. So how did the story about neurology <laughs> come up and what is this pediatrics neurology? Right. So that one was a bit of a story. To be honest, after I did pediatrics, I started working in county government. I just realized that I was seeing a lot of um, patients who had cerebral palsy, who had epilepsy. And um, for sure, their, their quality of life, I felt, could be much better um, if I had more information about how to help them. So I just sat myself down and asked myself, Okay, one, for the patients, who do you feel you would help the most by doing what? So for me, the answer was clear. It was the knowledge that I have in a neurology was not to what I would um, expect to actually help the, the patients. And then I asked myself, if I was to do, let's say, something else, would I be happy? As in, would, would I wake up in the morning excited and overjoyed to go work? And um, as I was telling you before, I sat down and thought if I became, if I did hematology, I think I would cry every single day. Like I would see a patient and just go home and just wonder, you know, as in what what's happening. So I had to actually have that conversation with myself to make that decision for neurology. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love the fact that you called yourself for a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need to call ourselves for a meeting every Very so true. often and just really ask those key questions. Like what's going to fuel me mm. versus what wouldn't and what would make me feel more in the zone of my purpose, you know, my calling versus 
I, if I get into this man, it's just going to drain me. So it's, I think it's, it's really helpful that you share that perspective. So now you have this dream of pediatric neurology. How did you come about figuring out where that, where you were going to get your training? What I did is once I came to the realization that, yes, this is what is going to make you happy. This is what you want to do. I now started knocking on people's doors. <laughs> so I went and met a few neurologists, one of whom is a mentor. I went and sat down with them. One specific neurologist um, who recommended me, I went to his office and I told him, you know, I feel like my life is leading me to neurology. Where do you think would be the best place to do neurology? How was your experience? So for him, he'd done his neurology in the UK. He said he he liked the experience. He also suggested, you know, think about the UK, find out about this institution. And then he was like, also check in South Africa and find out about it. And I was like, eh, now you're telling me South Africa xenophobia, really? It's like, no, you know, as in you, you have to open your mind and think about it. Right. So I went, did research for for UK, found out, um, you know, how long it is. I did research for Canada, checked uh, South Africa. And then now I, I just looked at the number of years that I would be working in these places. And then remember that I am a mother. <laughs> I remember that, um, you know, yes, this is going to be this number of years in this place. But am I going to travel with my family? Am I, what am I going to do? So in terms of what helped me to um, choose to do the fellowship in Kenya is I realized that I, I couldn't be able to travel, you know, with my family and I needed to have my children there. So for me, getting an opportunity in Kenya actually was, was the best thing. So I I think it can't be understated that... There are so many other things that come into play apart from the availability of the program itself. There's, do I have the money to go? Mm -hmm. Do I have the resources to support if I was going with my family versus if I was going alone, what happens to my family and the dynamics around that? And there are a couple of things that you've mentioned, and I don't want us to just, you know, fly by them. There are two things you've talked about. One, you've talked about mentorship. Mm -hmm. And the other one, you've talked about this decision impacting your family. So I'll start with family. How did you go about the conversation with your family, with your partner about, hey, I want to go back to school and there's this consideration? What are some of the conversations? For me, even bringing up the conversation for a different country was hard, despite the fact that I had the support. You know, you can go do, that's fine, you know. You go do this fellowship in another country, that's okay. But for me, I felt I couldn't handle it. So when the opportunity came to do that fellowship in Kenya, it was even easier for me to actually have that conversation, all right. So how is this going to be? How is this going to be in terms of finances, about the children, you know? that conversation at least I could now have. It was it went well as in it was I, I had a, I had support as in from my family, from extended family, in terms of, okay, so this is what you want to do. But it needed a lot of discussions in terms of finances because it's a pay cut. So how is the family going to survive on this new income? So mm-hmm. that that discussion needed to be had. And at the end of it all, I think the decision was, all right, so let's let's just go into it and 
you know, hope for the best. You just enter into waters that you don't know, but hoping that it will work out. But I think it's an important discussion to have. What were some of the other conversations that you had with your family and with your partner about going back to school? I ask this because a lot of people are like, you're not yet done reading. (laughs) You've done so much with your career so far. So what were some of the other things that came up in conversation? Well, in terms of partner, we're both in medicine. So that that conversation wasn't hard. I think that my, my, as in trying to explain this to my extended family that you did your master's, you went to school, did undergraduate, and then you went and did your master's. And now you want to go to school again to do a fellowship. That discussion was, why are you not just sitting down and making money? Why can't you go and work with, you know, like these private organizations? And then why are you going back to school? So that, that conversation was... <laughs> was um it's it's hard to explain why you want to go and do a subspeciality to extended family you mm-hmm. know i think in in medicine you know that you know it's it's a continuous learning process at some point you tend to feel this drive okay let me go and you know expand my knowledge in this particular thing that i'm feeling very passionate about mm-hmm. but explaining that to an extended family member that this calling that you usually say I have, I now have been called again. <laughs> so that was that was difficult to make them understand. I still get asked. So now that you've uh, you know done a fellowship, are you now still going back to school? You better not be going back to school. <laughs> I have a name for it. I think I've just coined it. It's called the so many vijana crisis. Oh yes. Mwisho wa kusoma utapata kazi nzuri sana. So like. That that was the song that was playing a lot of the times. Mm. So I think there's a generation that just believes about that thing for finish school, start working. What is this you've gone back to school? Um, but then it's helpful to hear that because I think a lot of families, when it comes to subspecialty and, and families, friends, some guys just don't get it. So you've gone back. Now you're going back to do what? You're already... At the top of your game, you're doing so fantastic. And I think it's so helpful to hear what your experience was in terms of some of those difficult conversations and that they are necessary to start having, Mm -hmm. especially with your loved ones, because that means that that's more time away from them Mm. and spent on studying or practice and skill acquisition. And thank you for sharing that. The other one I wanted to ask you about is the impact that mentorship has had, how did you figure out, you know, this particular person is going to be my mentor? What are some of the characteristics Mm -hmm. that you look at and say, yes, this is somebody I would like to mentor me Mm -hmm. to start with? I I think I have many questions about mentorship, but I think starting, what are some of the things you you are looking for in a mentor at that stage? Mm. I am not sure that, I had thought about it in terms of that I'm looking for this person as I'm I'm looking for a mentor in the first place. But then now looking back, that's truly what I was doing. I was actually looking for a mentor and that was in undergrad, undergraduate. There was a registrar who sort of had his life in order and went and did, I was doing pediatrics at the time. And I'm very good friends with his wife. And um, so they, they seemed to be having it figured out, you know. When I started having discussions about school, they shared with me um, the struggles that they went through. And 
that actually helped me be able to navigate through like even masters the drive that i could see it helped me know that you know this is what i want to do the passion that this person has in their field i would want to be passionate about that in something that i love and i think that also guided me to not just go with the flow anything is available let me follow that but to go to something that i actually love in terms of neurology now this other the neurologist that i spoke to i used to work doing pediatrics as a resident is that legal to say <laughs> no it's legal you have passed it just yes. share share so, your story yes so what happened is that um um he was running his clinic and i was available to do to see patients neurology patients so when i went to his clinic i was excited about it as in seeing neurology patients and over there feeling like you know i'm the one calling the shots that was a, that was an amazing feeling and you know so that's how now we we started discussing about neurology um with a neurologist and that's how he became my mentor and he showed me how to navigate how to think outside the box like think about uk think about south africa all these things mm. it's really great to hear that some of the things that really resonated with you as one somebody who is vulnerable enough to be you know open in terms of this is my experience it's not all perfect because i think the problem with us is that we must present things perfectly they must look perfect they must look rosy and that's what attracts people however what i'm hearing you saying is that actually what attracted you more to these conversations and this mentorship processes actually they were just being very open and honest mm. about the whole picture and also the fact that you were able to get somebody who identified that skill in you and that passion in you allowed you to have some autonomy so that you can also experiment with how you're taking care of them exposing you to this is how things are done and i think it's so important that you had these sort of two exposures because you really thrived in that space and to the mentors because i know you're going to listen to this episode we're giving you your flowers today <laughs> because this is this is the fruit of those conversations and that interaction and that investment in that relationship and so thank you how was the actual experience of studying neurology getting into that program and starting out by the way, how many were you guys we were two two <laughs> <laughs> the first two yeah to be clear you were the first two of a new program yes that had been started out and what year was this 2020 2020 mm-hmm. so how was the training itself when i entered i think first of all i was so excited to enter as in the fact that there was neurology in kenya and i didn't have to apply outside i was just ecstatic i was so excited about it so the process of application um now i had to deal with the county but then immediately i entered the experience was nothing that i had prepared myself for in every way it is the most i've ever read in my life I kept as in some I think someone asked me for advice or like you know as in how is it different from uh masters I was like I don't think I ever read like that for masters for sure I didn't <laughs> so it's the it's the most 
it's the most I've, I've read ever. It was so different. It was so eye-opening. And then my fellowship was very different because it was a private facility. So navigating through the private system was very different. I enjoyed it, but I had to learn how to work within this setting that was very different from the public setting. And the fact that everything is available, you know, as in if you want to do genetics for a patient, as in whichever test you want to do, it's it's there. You just have to ask for it. It just expanded my mind in so many ways. So I, it, it was it was very exciting. But then also, mm-hmm. I entered in 2020 just when COVID was hitting. Yeah, that was the other thing. When you said 2020, I was like, oh, man, COVID. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to a facility that has COVID patients, mm. you know, and you are wondering, I was just wondering, what what am I going to, as in how is it going to work out now? As mm. in how will I do this fellowship and it's COVID time and then I bring COVID to my children, mm. you know, to the family. What it was, it was very hectic um, trying to figure it out during that time. And then also people were trying to stay away from hospitals. So I was, how is this experience going to be? Will mm-hmm. there be patients or will it just be COVID that, you know, we are dealing with? We were also so scared. We don't know what this disease this is, you know. every You are wearing masks. You are sanitizing every two seconds. You are, you are dreading going to work because you're like, I don't know whether today is the day that I die. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then every time there's always a new syndrome associated with COVID yes. that we didn't know about until you see a few patients and you're like, oh, this looks like COVID related, you know, this or the other, which from a medical perspective was so overwhelming. The learning curve with COVID was so steep. Yeah, I, mm. I get that. The thing actually now, imagine you're doing neurology and you're, do, you're seeing COVID related complications in neurology. So everything was, you could see everything, strokes. And you're thinking, am I next? Like, is this going to happen? So that the anxiety around COVID was really great. But then with time, I think things sort of calmed down. People started knowing more. So patients started coming in. And when they came in, they came in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was now we are too, it was rigorous. We had to read and uh, see patients. And again, that was, I I learned resilience. I, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. When I entered, we were given a curriculum. <laughs> yes. The curriculum was a book and it was, it, it was, I, I can't, it's, I'm just trying to show you with my hands how yes. thick it was. Yeah. It was a thick book of the curriculum. Oh, yes. Wow. So I think it just went to show how much thought that they had when they were, you know, trying to figure out this, we are starting a new program and these people are coming in and this is what we want them to have learned by the end. Talk about that sort of like learning and mentorship process was Mm. in the program. How was that experience? Mm -hmm. Because you're transitioning from this was a colleague Mm -hmm. and then now you're transitioning into now you're a student. Mm -hmm. While you're not an undergraduate, Mm -hmm. you're coming in as a postgraduate, you have a wealth of experience and Mm -hmm. you're getting to interact with these, I want to call them neurology dons, as it were, Mm. how was that interaction? How was that learning environment Mm. 
with those hierarchies in place. Mm. Let me just put it this way in terms of my place um you know in the in the you know in that learning space. So you're in a place where there are interns, there are residents and then there are you know the consultants and most of them are subspecialties. Now I was coming in as a student <laughs> but in my own right I'm a pediatrician. So at first I think I was lost. I was like where am I in this as in what what does this mean? What is fellow? As in am I a pediatrician still or am I not a pediatrician? I was I was truly I was lost because I'm like now should I be you know giving plans for you know for pediatrics or what what should I do? But I think the good thing is that the neurology sort of took ownership of us. So what they did is that there was a clear difference between neurology and pediatrics. Mm. So that worked beautifully because now I wasn't stuck there like, okay, now I know I'm a pediatrician. Should I now start, you know, sorting out a patient who has come with gastroenteritis as in, you know, or mm -hmm. should I stick? To, so I stuck to my space and um, that sort of protection from the, from the neurologists make, made things just flow. Because mm. now I knew that if there is a neurology case, I'm supposed to be there. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Correct. But if somebody else is, if there is a, you know, a diarrhea or something, you know, that's not my space. So that I don't also, you know, step where I'm not supposed to be stepping. Mm -hmm. That's really, it's really interesting because as a pediatrician, I find neurology so complex. I remember a friend of mine telling me that they had stayed at the house of a neurologist in training mm -hmm. and there were these images and pictures that had been stuck on all the walls, mm -hmm. even in the bathroom, <laughs> just so that you can learn the mapping of the brain and the brain's impact on so many different things. Yeah. And here you are telling me that you had teachers who advocated for you to focus on the thing that brought you here, which I think is so key and a big shout out to the neurologists who did that because if your teachers don't advocate and create a space of psychological safety, as it were, for you to be safe enough to feel, let me focus on my thing. Mm. Yes, there's all these other things that are happening, but my role is as a fellow in this subspecialty and this is my work. Mm. So I think that... It's helpful to hear that despite feeling lost in the beginning, mm. just them being able to advocate for you and really push for you to focus really helped, you know, sort of help you get out of the woods, so to speak, and find your path. So shout out to them as well. Mm -hmm. What were some of the highs of the training? Like, yeah. could you name a couple of things or a couple of experiences that you'd consider were your highs of the training? Mm. Let me just say the fact that I could be able to do what I loved every day was a pretty big high. And when you've worked in the public setup for a while, because I've honestly never left the public setup. So when you worked there for a while, there's so many gaps, you know, in terms of how far somebody can go. You can't talk genetics when you're in the public setup if you don't have other things you know you you start like advocating funding exactly and other resources right yes so you mm -hmm. start there's somewhere where you start advocating for before you reach to having a discussion about genetics mm -hmm. i i just have this picture of um this baby in my mind he has cerebral palsy and 
um, just seeing the journey that this child is walking, is talking, you know. As in, when that child is walking and talking, you can't tell that this was the birth history. And it's so sad that if you were to take the same child probably to another setting, they may not thrive as much. But seeing the possibilities of what is out there in terms of medicine and how far, but there's a huge gap between private and public. It's so sad. But um, seeing how that can work, it was so eye-opening. Then the other high is that I got friends out of the training were together with one other person. <laughs> so uh, we become friends and um, just, you know, having colleagues who are now friends, I think that was um, a pretty big high. I really love how collegial you are as neurologists and mm-hmm. how open you are to working together and that that training further built up on that mm. as a strength for you and as you know built that social network and that social support i think for fellowship because you don't realize Mm -hmm. first of all creating friendships in adulthood is so difficult it's hard friendships i think there should be a separate podcast on adulting and friendships however the fact that you're able to create these relationships and lasting relationships Mm. can't be understated and how that helps you in such a stressful learning environment Mm. and so I'm really glad that you're able to get that and even if you're just the two of you that started Mm. I think that's really key that that you know even if they're in a different county Mm. that you have this person that you can bounce off Mm. of and and talk to and say hey I have this case Mm. you know or I'm dealing with this Mm. and just have that person who gets you at that level Mm -hmm. there's something else you had mentioned yes there are these huge gaps between public and private And at the same time, I think in the past few years, and we're going to see it continuing to shift, Mm -hmm. is that now we're getting more people going to subspecialty training. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that means that there's better accessibility, Mm -hmm. even if not the labs and all the resources. However, as a step, we'll have the subspecialist who can be able to make the diagnosis, who can be able to do the follow-up closer to people in various counties because you're in Nairobi and your colleague is in which county? Uh, Nyamira. Nyamira. Hmm. When else did we have a neurologist in Nyamira? (laughs) Now we have somebody who's in Nyamira who's able to take care of that region Mm -hmm. and be the point of, you know, neurology referral Mm -hmm. in Western Kenya. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to mention that because I think that's so amazing to just hear just how much Starting with the two of you mm-hmm. has opened up a part of the country that before we wouldn't have, you know, been thinking about. Were there some lows in the program, about the program, about your learning experience? The low that I can truly remember feeling is when my daughter came and told me that she doesn't want to do medicine. Oh. And she was so cut she was she was just telling me, you know. Um you come this late oh. and you're leaving this early, I don't want to become a doctor. I was like, wow, I have impacted you, but in a negative way. You're still mentoring, but then uh, not Negatively, in the direction. Yes. Wow, that must have been, that must have been hard. That was, that was so hard. That was so hard. So um, now I had to, you know, sit her down again and tell her, you know, this is only for a season. Like it's not forever that I'm going to be, and you 
you know, I'm in school, like you're in school. So I'm supposed to be in school at a certain hour. I'm supposed to leave school at a certain hour. And it's only for this this season of, um, you know, my life and your life. And it's going to be a time when, you know, I won't be coming home this late. So I think that sort of um, reassured her that it won't be a forever thing that, you know, I hate this profession because it's causing my mother not to come early mm. and all that. But now she's in a good space. Now she's <laughs> because she sees you. Now she sees me. So yeah. she's yeah. So oh, but that mom guilt though. Oh yes, that mom guilt. I think that killed me. Yeah, but now we are good. We are good now. I mm. I remember for me, my daughter, when people would ask her where I am, mm. she would actually say, "Mama sleeping," because mm. when I was home, that's all I would do: sleep before my next shift or my next clinic or my next class. Mm. And of course, like I can laugh haha now. Mm. But then at that time, I don't think people knew that necessarily she had a mom. Like I wasn't <laughs> present as I much as I would have mean. wanted to be. Mm. And so that mom guilt thing, I, there's no way around it. Mm. And and sometimes even all the conversations that you have with people for, it's just going to be for a short time. But that short time is still so painful mm-hmm. as a mom mm. who's in fellowship. Mm. So I'm glad that your daughter has healed from that. I'm sure oh, yes. still <laughs> at the back of her mind, she's like, I'm, I'm still not going into medicine. And I'm glad to have my mom back. Yes, now she's at that time. She was like, no, I'm doing art. I'm going to become an artist. And nice. I was like, you know, do, do that. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We allow you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thinking about like books or any movies that mm. you read, even if it was before the program mm-hmm. or during or even after, mm-hmm. are there some books? or movies that had an impact or are having an impact in how you practice and who you are as a person right now? Right. So to be honest, I'm not a big self-help book reader. So I read a lot in terms of novels. (laughs) I I can finish two in a week. Fiction. Fiction. Love it. I was gifted a a self-help book um, the other day and... I took a month to finish it. It it was it was good, but it just does. There's no storyline. It just wasn't your thing. Yes. You want a story. I want a story. I want it to help me relax and yes. go into another world. Yeah. So, what are the books that will make you read two of them a week? Who are the authors that you really love? Aha. Uh-huh. So, um, let me jump that answer. <laughs> I because you talking about John, John Grisham. Grisham. Yeah, so yes, so it's truly it's just any novel that will take me into another time for me. It's, it's a good read. Mm-hmm. So I usually don't even look at who is writing the book or yeah. all that. Just that there is a story. Mm. Although right now I can say that I'm very proud of myself. I was just gifted a book. Who who moved my cheese? Yeah, I'm on page two. But, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a it's, step already, in the it's right, a step. It's a step in the right direction. I yeah. love it. I love it. And what are some of the other things that you found that helped like uh, with your mental health mm-hmm. during your fellowship? Mm. So again, the books, I read novels. So the good thing about the internet is if you just 
want a book like a novel on law, you just Google that and then you can get free PDF books. So for me, even when I was in fellowship, I used to have like a, a cheat weekend whereby I'm not reading, you know, neurology that day. I'll just um, go and read a novel as in, and it would be online and mm-hmm. it was those quick reads, you know, and then after that you feel zen. <sighs> yes. I've read my car. I've had my car moment of cheating. Yes. <laughs> and then the other the other thing that I did, especially at the end, just before I sat my exams, I started going to the gym, which I've never ever done before, as in I never used to do really. But then I started going just, and I went because I wanted, you know, mental health, wellness, all that. So, mm-hmm. and I actually went and told the trainer, you know, I'm here. I don't want to change anything. I just want to be in a good mental space. So don't give me lifting weights. Because <laughs> that's not my thing. That's not my thing. Yes. I just need my endorphin rush. Yes. And so that I feel good and leave. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I did. Uh, of course, trainers will still tell you to lift weights, but it helped. <laughs> Something about the gym sort of makes you not stressed. Yeah. So that helped. Yeah. No, that's great to hear. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's really helpful to hear because those are some practical things that you're able to do during a very busy time Mm. that helped you. And I really love the fact that she was like, this is a cheating weekend where I don't read neurology. I just sink myself into a book. I love that. And in terms of when you think about overall in the fellowship, do you have any regrets? Regrets. I feel like regret is a big word. So I I wouldn't say that I regretted anything. I have so much resilience now. I have learned so much. I am super grateful, to be honest, about how much I've learned. And I truly can't say that I regret this because I feel like every single, like even the COVID, as in, you know, I I feel like, and I got COVID, did I say? (laughs) I got COVID and I thought I was going to die. And I was, I went home with a pulse oximeter and I was like, okay, am I dying now? As in what I was there. That's tough. Yeah, that was tough. That's tough. That's tough. So I, I don't feel like, and I, I love it for me to say that because I feel like then I lived, I lived that life. And you're able to have thrived, not just survived that season, but you actually thrived in that season. Mm. And so what would your words of advice or your nuggets of wisdom Mm -hmm. be for somebody who's thinking about doing a a subspecialty Mm -hmm. or even doing a subspecialty in neurology? What would be your words of advice Mm. for somebody? I think for sure, call yourself for a minute. <laughs> Call yourself for a meeting. I love it. Yes, because you 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 really need to know what it is that you love. You know, you you can't I, I don't think it's advisable to just go because something is is available. Because honestly, truly knowing myself, I know I would have been miserable had I done something else. So for me, the thought of you know, you have to think about it. You wake up every day to go do this thing. Are you excited to wake up to go do that thing? And the fact that I was excited to wake up and, you know, do neurology, it showed me that this is this is the correct thing. So you have to love what you choose. That's number one. Two is finances. You have to really know if you're not being funded, have a plan. You Even if you're being funded, if that funding is not matching what you were making before, have a plan because it's going to impact your family. 
and you know finances is never the best thing to to have issues on so just uh, make sure that you've arranged and find a way to to plan your finances mm-hmm. and go with an open mind expect anything i think i i went expecting that oh it's going to be you know there's going to be reading but it was the amount of reading was way above what i thought it would be know that even if that's what you like you're going to be pushed past your limit and you need to rise up to the occasion mm. yeah. i absolutely love that and what would you say to somebody so there's a new program because mm. you guys were the first mm-hmm which i think takes a lot of courage it's not it doesn't even have a track record mm. yet <laughs> you you are the track record that is so true yes so what would you say to somebody mm-hmm. who is thinking about a program and they'll be the first mm-hmm. as in experimentation technically mm-hmm. will be done on them in terms of a program being rolled out what would you say to this person mm. going into a new program mm. yeah what would your words of advice be i would say um look at who is behind this new program um for me i felt confident because i knew that the people who are making this program that you know they have the backing like they had the backing of you know other institutions they had they took the curriculum from you know they mix curriculum from south africa from the uk we those are merge of things so that you're sure that what you're going to learn is not just the kenyan experience but you're learning you know the same thing that you're doing is what somebody else in another country is doing mm-hmm, a more global sort of uh, picture in terms of your training yes mm-hmm. yes so that there is not a difference that you're learning in Kenya and somebody else says learning in South America or Europe but you're all learning the same thing so that same curriculum i felt was a very good thing so for somebody who's doing that who, who wants to join um, a local program just make sure that there is also that you you're doing a curriculum that is for the world global global it's it, it has that global coverage and you have those protocols and curriculum in space that is actually standardized yes. at a global level mm. which is what i'm hearing the neurology program aims to do or has been able to do at least with the first few cohorts that have come out of it. Mm. I think it's really great that you are able to share that and be able to experience that, you know, straight out the gate. And I think for somebody who again, you know like the way you shared, you you thought through what are my options? Right now going out of the country is not my option and there's an opportunity to you know pursue my passion in the country. Mm. and not not feel like you're at a loss because you're doing it in Kenya mm-hmm. versus somebody who's doing it you know in another country in another continent mm-hmm. you're getting a very high level of education and you're getting the backing from a faculty mm-hmm. that is invested in bringing out that global skill neurologist so to speak mm-hmm. so i really want to say a big thank you I know like you said you're an introvert and this is very out of pocket for you <laughs> and at the same time I value the fact that you're able to be very open mm. about what your experience was mm. and I thank you so much for taking the time to share this experiences with us. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this is new podcast but uh, thanks that was that was an experience. Thank you so much. Mm. And again as you said shout out to the mentors. I wouldn't be here if you know you I wasn't led into the correct path 
and and to the lecturers who you know I feel I have been shaped and molded into who I am because of so many people and I I'll forever be grateful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of you Peweni flowers. Get your <laughs> flowers, receive your flowers. We'll not mention all of you by name. However, I do know you will listen to this podcast. It's our hope that you listen to this podcast episode. Okay, guys. So I look forward to being able to interact with you and hearing what you have to say about this episode. Is there a way that if people want to get in touch with you, the public, mm. is there a way that they can be able to get in touch with you? Right. So I think I'd share my email address. So drmothonijoroge at gmail.com. So for sure, if there are questions about, you know, fellowship, what to do, how to navigate. Um, I'm happy to answer. Fantastic. And we will also have it as part of the show notes so that you're able to reach out to Maureen directly. I don't want to be the person who's a barrier (laughs) to this awesomeness. So thank you everyone and until next time, bye. I'm so glad you stayed tuned. Please get the word out and share it with at least three people. Make this episode like a chain letter. Share it, share it, share it. Come back for the next leg of our safari where we'll be talking about... My big thing is women's health. Even though I've gone to a subspecialist level, I've always had an interest in general women's health. And this is the full spectrum from when people start getting periods to when the periods end. Listeners are advised to use their own judgment and discretion when applying any information discussed in this and all podcast episodes to their specific situation. Always seek the advice of a qualified professional if you have any concerns or questions regarding a particular subject matter. This episode was sponsored by the Kenya Pediatric Fellowship Program. The overall goal of Kenya Pediatric Fellowship Program is to expand the capacity of training institutions to select, train, and deploy quality pediatric subspecialists, midwives, and pediatric nurses, and address the shortage and inequitable distribution of specialized child health workforce in the Kenyan public sector. You can find this and other episodes of this podcast on our website at www.fellowshipsafaris.org. You can also find all our episodes on all podcast platforms. Reach out to us on social media as Fellowship Safaris on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And our Twitter handle is at fellowshipsafar. You could also send us an email on fellowshipsafaris at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and interacting with what you have to say about the Fellowship Safaris podcast. It takes a village to make this podcast. The executive producer and original music is done by Mokavi Maweu. The sound engineer is Tevin Sudi with thanks to AQ Studios. Graphic design was done by Benjamin Mboya. We would like to give a special shout out to Josephine Karianjahe and Melissa Mbogwa of Africa Podfest. All rights reserved by Dr. Jerry Karianjahe and the Fellowship Safaris podcast.